is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on SAGE, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
reading that law line. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a coup they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. I messed up. Uh, anyway, uh, I apologize again. Tech issues. I think I might have found the problem actually. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, as I was getting ready to stream, I, is it just uh, daylight? It's like dawn, I guess. So I don't know. I look red. I look red on the camera. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, anyway, um, I believe my computer is, well, it's fucking roasting hot. And so I've just ordered a new cooler. And I think, I think that may be, may be the problem. Whilst, while I, why I was having problems yesterday and today, as I started the stream, it, uh, it just and froze and wouldn't do anything. So if I don't make it through this stream, uh, you know why. Uh, the hardware is failing on me. It's getting old, like me, and um, I've got to, I've got to find solutions. Whereas you know, uh, PC overheating is usually uh, just swap out the, swap out the cooler. These are what are they like? These closed closed circuit water coolers. There, I like them. Um, I think they when they work, they're great. But the problem is, you can't top them up with fluid and they're kind of a disposable item and my pc gets you know it doesn't get switched off and it's yeah well, you know it, it it's holding a thousand tabs open at any one time and um maybe i'll even flick on a 
a session of uh, Dead Space at the moment. I'm enjoying the uh, the 2023 uh, upscaled version. It's just the same game, but uh, I've I've had some fun with PC gaming this uh, this Christmas and w watching the watching the kids, especially my youngster. Um, he's going. He's going all out for VR. He's ready for Klaus Schwab's uh, fourth industrial revolution. He's in there and it, it's it's kind of funny watching him. <laughs> I just, what, what have I done uh, already to my kids? He, I, he was in there. They were arguing in, as as kids do. And he, he called someone a nigger. <laughs> so then there was this back and forth and I was sort of downstairs shuffling about and he goes it's all right my dad says i can say uh nigger <laughs> so uh oh, i filled filled me with a frisson of pride it did as uh the the gamer words begin to uh percolate into his consciousness i had to uh <laughs> had to have words with him <laughs> afterwards like with you know you want to be you want to be careful with uh using those words and uh you know they're, they're good to have as uh you know weapons to draw on but you can't you can't just go around saying uh, you'll upset the uh, other children <laughs> and so later in the day he was uh he was playing at, and you know kids being kids right so he's playing in the same whatever it is stream uh, steam vr I don't know. It seems a, a bit like sort of Roblox, what have you. And I don't like. It's funny. It's a funny set of clips, right? Called like Skibbity Toilet or something like that. Um, my son watches them religiously when they come out. Each new one, and it's it's sort of like Titans fighting, but there's the, it's like this weird head in a toilet bowl. And then there are these, I don't know, TV head things. And so he's he's picked an avatar that is the skibbity toilet mech. I, I don't know, the one that fights the toilet bar. I know, I know it's schizophrenic as this sounds, but and then he's playing with obviously older kids. And, you know, the, the language is, I can hear it because it's on, it's on, speakers and they don't like skibbity toilet for whatever reason and uh they're they're being you know it was oh, they called him a motherfucker basically and he was like wow what do i do what do i do when uh when they call me uh uh what did he say uh mfa and i was, I was just like well you called him a faggot then son and it was I just went back and I, I don't know, you know, how do, how do you sort of um, navigate kids through that space, right? Where, uh, you know, you can, you can hop from one server to another and you'll, you'll have people uh, take umbrage, uh, you know, what, you know, when, when the kids use, uh, it's, uh, it's common vernacular down my way. Um, but, you know, when, when it gets a bit heated, it's, uh, you know, you've got, you've got eight-year-olds playing with obviously 15, 16-year-olds, etc. And uh, you know, I, I don't know how you um, 
address that disparity. So as far as I'm concerned, all words are on the table and you, you just got to get a, a thick skin to salty language. And uh, oh, oh, my feels. Oh, my God, he used to. <laughs> so that's uh, that's my view. And uh, it obviously shows with uh, my my work presentation, etc. So um, it is it's it's nothing wrong with calling a spade a spade uh you're right you're right hibernian blanco walk um that's the that's the way i look at it look and you know the kids kids these days are you know when i when i was my son's age i was you know it would be a constant ruckus of you know older kids picking on younger kids and um you would we would have like i i just remember like i don't know if if this was something that i presume so but we used to have like we, we would team up for stone fights where <laughs> you'd be just picking rocks up off the ground and just trying to hit the <laughs> the other side with uh with rocks and pebbles and shit and Man, the amount of windows that got broken and um, kids with uh, <laughs> gashes to foreheads and uh, what have you. And oh, it's, uh, and uh, my, my kids aren't going through that. And so it happens in the digital domain. And so, you know, what's, where, where are they going to find sort of resistance or um, pressure is, uh, it, well, is when, when they get, language and uh, or, or you know swear words and gamer words etc so um this uh they learn in their own time what is socially appropriate in their own world yeah i think so i think so and so you know they get exposed to a wide range of um swear. look i did growing up right it's not it's not like uh we, we sort of lived in this uh little little vacuum of uh <laughs> It's perfect poetic English prose. Uh, you were you were surrounded by salty language, but you know there was a human, obviously in front of you when you were hearing it, and so this this sort of disembodied avatar type um, interaction is is strange, but um, it is what it is. And anyway, uh, so I've got computer problems. I've got. Uh, well, social interaction, and I'm looking. I'm just looking at my PC right now, and the block on the cooler is flashing red. Uh, look, man, if if the computer dies during the stream, like I'm, I'm not going to fight it. Uh, like yesterday, I'll just I'm the the cooler. It said it would arrive today, actually. So uh, presumably, I've got the order in. I just did it right now. So, um, yeah, same day delivery. Bravo, Amazon. Uh, and I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to fix it that way. But um, what's this? Japan's Killing Stone splits in two. Recorded on Monday, seventh March, twenty twenty-two. Six hundred and sixty-six days later, twenty twenty-four. Sea of Japan earthquake. Well, wasn't the earthquake? Oh yeah, it was. 2024 um is that true is it exactly 666 days um 
I don't know. Like the the earthquake here was just it's seven seven point five, whatever it was on the Richter scale. It's relatively common to have them around Japan. They might be sort of further out um in the ocean. Six sevens happen a lot. And it's not a big deal. It's just this one was very close to inland. I want to say it was actually epicenter was on the peninsula itself, and um, and so there was more damage. And you know the you you saw the pictures of like tidal waves and stuff coming in, and you can just see like Japan has sort of they've engineered very well, and the channels are sort of taking those water level rises, and um, you know the any any structures sitting on top of a seven seven plus uh earthquake are gonna take uh a hit of course and um you know what what is the amount of how many how many atomic bombs is equivalent that's a chat g p t question right um let's ask it what is the equivalent force in megatons of TNT of a 7.5 Richter earthquake. I, I would I would imagine it's quite a few. Um, Richter scale scale measures and the energy released by an earthquake can be indeed compared the energy released by explosives by TNT. For each whole number increase in magnitude, the energy release of an earthquake is approximately 31.6 times greater. A 7.5 magnitude earthquake is extremely powerful. The energy release of an earthquake can be roughly translated to an equivalent amount of TNT. For a 7.5 magnitude earthquake, it's estimated release about 5.6 to the 10 to the power of 17 joules of energy. To convert this equivalent to amount of TNT, we need to know that one ton of TNT releases about 4.184 by 10 to the minus 9 joules. Okay, so we can estimate the equivalent in megatons. <laughs> so a 7.4 earthquake is equivalent to 133.84 megatons of TNT. And so what's our biggest nuclear device to date? Well that's SAR bomber, right? At 50. And so what would what would be so like the Toko Toku earthquake was 9.5. What would be the mega ton equivalent of Nine point five. Okay, a lot, I would imagine. It's increasing. What was it? Thirty-one point times by each. Yes, yes, yes. Analyzing. Whilst it's thinking about it, but yeah, so one hundred and thirty-three megatons, and they. I, I read somewhere that Japan moved like a a meter. As a consequence, and you know, it, it kind of kind of puts things in perspective, right? 
So, yeah, you can you can drop your uh, city busting uh, strategic nukes uh, if you're outside the blast zone. Um, yeah, the only thing you'd have to worry about is is radiation. All right, so. Uh, The equivalent force of a 9.5 magnitude earthquake is 133,650 megatons of TNT. So, I don't... I don't <laughs> what's the total tonnage of nuclear weapons? What is the total megaton amount of the world's stockpile of nuclear weapons i would be surprised if it was anywhere maybe maybe it might be close the total megaton amount of worlds Let's see what it says it's not publicly available during the cold war the total yield of the world's nuclear arsenal was at its highest with estimates often citing figures well above 10,000 megatons. Since then, right, so um, orders of magnitude lower than a 9.5 Richter scale earthquake. So, yeah, that, that puts it in perspective. And, you know, again, we may just be really, really close to them uh, <laughs> trying out their uh, nuclear playthings. Uh, Let's see. Japos love a bit of mythology. Those broken Sesho Seki stones are going to be scaring them shitless now. Yeah, look, the Japanese have a, a sort of, what do you call it? An animistic uh, theology, right? And they, they see rocks and trees and nature as imbuing and holding spirits etc it's very it's very different to the the desert religions and you know i had an interesting take i can't remember where it was exactly but it was um in places where there's a lot of um biodiversity right you uh, very rich and japan you, you know essentially it goes from in the north in hokkaido it's temperate to extremely cold in the winter where they get meters of snow where if you get to the south of the country it's bordering towards um tropical semi semi-tropical i would say and then you get down to okinawa and i don't know i don't i'm not sure of the exact uh designation here but like just the main island of japan in the south it's it's fucking hot I, I can attest to that. And the um, Okinawa was uh, particularly stifling for me. So, mm, uh, let's see. Could parts of the USA survive a nuclear war? Yeah, uh, look, of course, I think you probably could. Um, you just don't want to be under the... It's, it's the collapse in supply chains that would be the killer and i'm you know my concern with the current 
state of world affairs is that the Holodomor that they have planned is more around the the more technical products that we rely on. So pharmaceuticals, etc. And the well, I don't know, man. Like people, people would lose their shit just for, if they couldn't get new cell phones. If I couldn't get a new water cooler for my PC, I would be, uh, I'd be pulling my hair out right now. So, nuclear winter lasting two to four months. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know that, right? Because we would. Um, but when they were making those sort of calculations, they didn't they didn't have the sophistication that we have these days with respect to weather patterns, jet streams, computational modeling, and you know what what I would I would look it would suck if you were in the northern hemisphere for sure, right? But the 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 environmental impact. I th I don't think actually would be as bad. It's the like I say, it's the collapse of the social structures that would be the real killer in this instance, and that's the that's the what people should really be afraid of. Uh, they could blow all the nukes. Yeah, look, man, um, all the nukes don't even don't come close to a. 9.5 Richter scale earthquake. I mean, what was that um, volcano that blew up? Was it last year? The one <laughs> they were just uh, what, Tonga was that Tonga earthquake? Um, yeah, it would not it would not really get rid of shit. Yeah, I, I'm look. If, I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's something to be uh, avoided, right? Because you know what 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 would nukes be used for? The, well, they would be taking out cities right where there are you know the population centers and you know very very few of them would be used for military targets per se right because they would have just well you, I, I guess you would try to prevent them from sort of reloading and firing but if they if they all go then it's there's very it's it's all or nothing right and um yeah i i i would yeah it's cities that they would take out on critical infrastructure so that they you couldn't you couldn't um gather your forces to sort of go and uh <laughs> go rapid and pillaging as you do um let's see just a normal bomb footprint is tiny in the scale of things. Yeah, yeah, it is. Unless you're, uh, unless you're sitting right on top of it. Who was it? But, but I was just watching yesterday in the Discord where they were they were firing uh, an RPG into one of those um, ballistic gel torsos, right? That's sort of got a skeleton in it and sort of proxies for organs and what have you. And that thing just liquefied as the, <laughs> as the explosive went off and you know that that would be a uh a shattering event for the individual but and they had another dummy which was sort of i don't know six feet behind it ten feet behind it 
And yeah, I mean, the person wouldn't have survived, but um, if you were if you were standing six feet behind that person, you'd you probably be somewhat okay, particularly if you had like body armor and what have you on. So um, I don't know how how did we get sucked down the track of um, nuclear bombs? Oh yeah, the the stones in Japan. Um, anyway, could parts of the USA survive a nuclear war? Not just could parts of the country would. Shows the destructive capability of the Russia's current arsenal. So basically, why why is most of this page? So half of the U.S. population is at risk of a blast of two pounds per square inch, potentially fatal shockwave. Some segment of the population within the two psi risk area will die. Fifty percent was about twenty six percent of the nineteen nineties U.S. population. Um, I don't know why it's quora. Right. Um, I'm supposing there's supposed to be figures in here, but uh, you can find the original documents here. Have a look. <laughs> that page is even worse. Um, it's just gibberish. Uh, is what the fallout would look like. Yeah, look, look. I'm I'm not saying it would be a good thing. I'm just trying to put it in perspective of energy released per uh, earthquakes and the. Look, when when myself and Charles went to Hiroshima, right, and I was, I don't know, I, I, I sort of had a, an image in my mind of, I don't know, like the scale would be, have been bigger with the, with the blast. But, you know, we were, we were sat in a, restaurant that looked right down on the the bank right it's a bank that's like the monument building oh i mean i'm sounding all all stuffy <laughs> i've just been my nose is full of black soot <laughs> i had to spend the afternoon yesterday just fucking vacuuming the walls and all i can all i can say is thank god for uh, my lazy ass and the walls just being covered in a fine mesh of cobwebs and the soot highlighted them all but I'm just thinking how much those cobwebs grabbed from the air that I didn't breathe in and like I say my nose was just it was still this morning I was snorting in water and trying to blow blow stuff out but Anyway, uh, where was I? I I'm, I'm waffling on. So, yeah, what are we going to do today? So, um, on following on from the very, very interesting paper yesterday, where we uh, we're beginning in the public domain, a bit uh, starting to piece together what an issue protein misfolding is and how uh, mistranslation of transcription factors can lead to a misfolded peptide product and what did they call it a vanishing amount something like that they said right a vanishing amount 
was enough to, in their preps, to cause um, aggregation and uh, filaments that were, in their words, visible to the naked eye. And, you know, of course, that, that's, uh, um, that it's a situation which would be uh, unusual to find in nature, but the, uh, that, that paper was uh, a nice endorsement of what I've been thinking about for the last, well, <laughs> you could say my career has been spent trying to think about what causes neurodegenerative diseases. And, but where my, where my brain was with respect to how I viewed um, protein misfolding and how I viewed um, things like chronic, well, disorders like long COVID, I've always maintained that a large proportion of the symptomology is a consequence of amyloidogenic processes happening across uh, tissue systems and in particular the brain. And today, or between that paper coming out and then this stream, the another paper has come out, which is it's not a, it's a reviewed paper that was in might be Nature, at least Nature Medicine, something like a, a Nature publication, uh, Nature Communications, and what it's done is try to assess what's happening in the muscle tissue of people who have long COVID. So there are people who would say that long COVID doesn't have a, it's not a real description of an illness. I would contend that it, that it is, but we just lacked the, uh, the hypothetical frameworks in which to try to comprehend it. And if you were, if all you're looking for is, well, let's say, what would, if you're looking for like arthritis, et cetera, you, you're, you're essentially looking for sort of auto antibodies and um, uh, inflammatory markers, et cetera. And uh, I think in, uh, in protein misfolding disorders, it's, you could, you could have the protein misfolding ongoing and it might not be triggering levels of inflammation that would be uh, it, it might be missed on sort of screening where, when you're comparing it to uh, very uh, obvious disorders like where the, the bone would be degenerating with rheumatoid arthritis or, or something like that and um, but now now we have uh, another another nail in the coffin of people who who would say that these things are or, or the distribution of symptoms around covid uh was a figment of the imagination you don't you don't get molecular signals in muscle tissue and brain tissue just from being a hypochondriac I'm sorry that doesn't happen and you know we have to we have to understand that the body is trying to tell us a whole bunch of uh, critical information when someone is trying to explain symptoms. And, you know, we have this terrible uh, state that we're in where um, when we can't explain something in with our current tool set, we, we will tend to just ignore 
those people, which I think has happened with MECFS type conditions for a very, very long time. Now, what's the cause of those conditions? Well, you know, there's crossover with um, viral and um, acute infections, etc. And just, you know, any, any shock to the system. Now, now that we can understand that even a small amount of translation errors can lead to these cascades and as it as they pointed out in their in their study yesterday and as i've been trying to tell people that the the ability for the body to degrade these tough uh, amyloid like proteins it's it's going to be a rate limited step and if those peptides are resistant to the body's degradation mechanisms then you're you're setting yourself up to develop these chronic conditions and so um we're going to look today uh, and I'm not going to do too much world news because it's just it's just moving too fast I've I'm watching ISIS now claim that they attacked um Iran and uh Suleimani uh not Suleimani but the memorial for Suleimani um <laughs> Uh, just call me a little skeptical when ISIS gets pulled into the uh, the equation. In this instance, uh, um, well, we know that 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 was very much a Western a Western project, should we say? And you know, gullible gullible Muslims will get taken up by it. But there's a very uh, how should we say CIA like uh, background to. Uh, how it's run and you know how it's been used in the middle east is a, as a uh, surreptitious tool for uh, western interests and you know i can understand people living in that region starting to get a little peeved with how the west is uh, comporting itself around <laughs> where i to live look i get pissed at fucking uh <laughs> Buzzes coming and uh, trampling all over uh, what I consider where where my kith and kin were from. How dare they come uh, trampling all over the European continent? Uh, <laughs> anyway, the uh, and so we, we, you know we had ISIS and and I think the funniest thing I saw did I I might have I might have grabbed that link maybe let me just check but. Uh, What's his, uh, not Putin, but the Medvedev. <laughs> he basically called uh, the French faggots. <laughs> because in the, apparently the attack, and again, I, I, I'm, as, as the warfare increases in intensity, so will the propaganda. And, you know, was, you know, from Ukraine's perspective, why wouldn't they hit cities outside of what they perceive as their borders, right? And in this instance, you could say, well, you know, you know all, all's fair in love and war. But the accusation is, is that they were using cluster munitions on civilian targets. And the, well, let's see if I can find it, rather than trying to relay it secondhand. Um, 
Did I find it? Did I have it? Uh, maybe I didn't grab it. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> let's put this uh, here and do. Oh, viewing Telegram. <sighs> Telegram can be really pain in the ass sometimes. <laughs> here it is. Uh, And it's hard to sort of present stuff with Telegram. But uh, <laughs> Dmitry Medvedev, Medvedev on his Telegram channel. We never liked the French. And there's a sentiment that I can, <laughs> I can get with uh, those, uh, those French. Uh, oh, I'm not on the screen, am I? Uh, wait. Let's do this. And the chat, turn the chat off as well, right? I think, there we go. Um, wait, did the chat just disappear? Someone, someone put something in the chat. Oh, I might have put the wrong... Mm. Sucks. All right, let me let me read the Medvedev article and then I'll try and figure out what's up with the chat. So uh, Medvedev says we never liked the French. They eat frogs. <laughs> they fought with us. <laughs> they eat frogs. They do eat frogs um and snails and they're not bad um i could you know if you're hungry <laughs> but uh and in general uh they are you know faggots <laughs> he's learning his gamer language uh, the doc approves and now we are convinced of this the french foreign ministry wrote a strike on belgorod using cluster munitions is the right to self-defense scum bastards and monsters and look, in I I would never, but you know, those that want to, the the port onto Mensch or whatever that believe in their their view of the Ukraine project, like anyone else, they do have a right to self defense. Everyone has a right to self defense. Um, it's how you go about using that self defense, and you kind of hope that there are rules of engagement, and. <laughs> Hi, I'm I'm just happy that uh, he's using the word faggots. Now, let me try and figure out where the chat has gone. Social stream. Why is it disappearing? Move to front. that working there are no rules in war so it's kind of working i'll have to fix it later 
is someone typed something. <laughs> All right, so let's see. The one RPG malfunctioned and sent it sent one of the people to hospital. Did it? from these tests that's funny should we be on the lookout for someone releasing infectious clones from all the supposedly rising infections um no I, I, look they are not going around releasing infectious clones all the time sorry they're not and we can you can look at the sort of you know, metrics like wastewater are telling you that there are rising levels of viral load occurring in populations and as a consequence and particularly in an environment where we've got this uh, class switching with IgG to act as um, tolerant to peptides rather than trying to you know more aggressively try to uh, attack them and remove them from the body we've got this increasing pressure on the population with exposure to amyloidogenic peptides and increasing toxins, opportunistic pathogens, etc. And you're all you're all potentially HIV patients now. <laughs> For want of want of a better analogy here. And um I'm not sure I'm not sure it's gonna stop. So you know one of the things that I wanted to look at before getting into this paper was um ethical skeptic are sort of done uh, a review for the end of the year and I, I, i'm not gonna i would i would encourage everyone to read it but his his analysis shows that in terms of the u.s there are well over a million uh, excess deaths as a consequence of uh, interventions let's say and particularly if you if you look at his data, it correlates very closely to the rollout of the countermeasures, and that's caused the real impact on what would otherwise have been considered potentially low risk populations. Now, would those would would a percentage of those populations be susceptible to SARS, etc.? Yes, yes, they would, and you can't. Under most circumstances, short of, uh, you can't shut down the world for viral pathogens normally. But in this instance, we're not dealing with natural, in my opinion. It was, it's all synthetic, all comes from biowarfare programs. And now we're starting to reap the consequences. And I'm looking at the molecular biology of the spike protein and what we're finding out now as we really pin down exactly what the amyloidogenic peptides are. And I'm interested to sort of look at this paper because I want to see which amyloid that they identify. Perhaps they can't. Perhaps they just um, identify amyloids through um, fireflavin or Congo red or something like that, some, some signal like that and they can't they can't differentiate it but i don't know yet i just i've just seen the the title and i know that the there's a mention of amyloid in the abstract and that's enough for me to say okay there's more there's more fine detail being painted in here that we have to be uh paying attention so um i will will try and get to that um 
Kevin, you studied differential geometry and shit, not in the curriculum of your PhD. I suspect it wasn't. Why, why is there, like, is there like two chats? Yeah, there is. Which one is the proper one? Just do this. Is it not in the curriculum of your PhD? Kevin, have you studied differential geometry? Or is it not in the curriculum of your PhD? I suppose it wasn't about math a lot. Um, oh, I mean, the math that we had to do was generally more around statistics, I would say. Um, if you wanted to get into mathematics, and I had to, to some extent, the and because you 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 need to be able to process data, right? And in that sort of research environment, well, how how do you how do you process data? Well, you have to you have to start le learning sort of principles of mathematical coding, and I would have to, and it was torturous for me to have to um, work with. Uh, MATLAB. I didn't like it, but it was a very powerful tool. And if you and well, here's one of the problems that you have with um, science and research in general: that as the complexity increases, you start deferring more and more to tools that essentially it's it's a little bit of a black box. Now. Of course, in MATLAB, you could go in and look at any of the functions that you were using, and you could look at the code and see if there was elements that leapt out at you as being, um, I don't know, maybe throwing out spurious data. But that that was beyond my sort of level, and I would I. I have to have at some point some trust in the tools. Like if I go to pick out a 13 millimeter wrench from the toolbox, I kind of presume that it's going to fit a 13 millimeter bolt plus or minus a small fraction in terms of error. And I, I don't spend my time trying to make a spanner to take off a uh, nut or bolt. Right. And it's the same with coding and math. And once you've sort of got the gist of saying, well, OK, I know my data set is like this. I want to I want to transform it into um, something like uh, time series data or you want to do um, frequency analysis in uh, like Fourier transforms, etc. And then you kind of let the machine do the processing for you. And the the code that gets written is essentially just saying, go to a directory, pick that data file up and read it and then do the comparison that you want and spit out the figures for me, please. And you know, there's a there's a skill in doing that for sure. And you know, my my code was always clunky. And like what would take me fifty lines, only people that would just be like and it would spit out and work in 15 lines. And I was always kind of jealous of people like that. And it was the same with, I, I had that jealousy with respect to people that can speak foreign languages. 
right? There are some people that can speak three, four foreign languages fluently. And I was never like that. What, would, what did, what could I do? Oh, I, I could handle animals and I could do, I was good with my hands. And that was a skill set that was incredibly useful for me. And, you know, I was, well, I don't want to say, just, I had enough, enough functioning gray matter and enough applied attention that I could follow the concepts and pick them up and um, argue them as you would in, in a PhD. So um, differential geometry, have I used it? No. no. Would I, would I understand the core concepts? Probably. Um, I'm not sure why it's been brought up at all. Uh, let's just um, catch up with the chat real quick. Um, so yeah, should we be on the lookout? No, you're not. You're not going to see someone releasing infectious clones. Um, that's a stupid idea, and doesn't concord with the data that we see myself and Charles have just gone through that data so many times it's um it's excruciating to watch people still carrying on with that type of thinking um i don't know, i don't know what to tell you man i feel bunged up hang on i just need to i feel almost feel like i'm on a aeroplane just bear with me <clears throat> mm, that's better <clears throat> uh all right so just moving on raven goblin says who's a spade <laughs> <laughs> yes touche uh, Brandon Tepper says that overblowing was part of a military strategy. The idea that nuclear winter would last years was always nonsense. Yeah, I think so. And look, when you were growing up, what did you, you know, we were subject to, <laughs> I remember as a child watching, um, what was the, UK, Fred's it was called and so that there was an american movie the day after that was kind of shitty as a movie but there was a, another one called freds which sort of explored what that sort of post post nuke exchange would be like and all right it looked it looked rancid now what you know would we would we would it be like that? Well, maybe in some parts of Britain, you could argue it's already like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that that one spooked me more than the day after. But, um, you know, the you wanted the you want some sort of psychological barrier to using these weapons of mass destruction and the issue around this and this is why that the the people who decided that biological weapons were not something that should be pursued because it was a rapid descent downward very uh, because it was essentially easy to do relative to the industrial infrastructure that you need with um, nuclear 
um, weapons. And the the consequences potentially could be far more long-lasting. And now I think we've got down to this level where um, it's not so much the bug or the, the pathogen per se, it's the epitope and the targeting of these sub-components in the physiology which circle around amyloids and prions. That's where we've come to, and it may be, like I say, it may be that that, that stage was reached. It, it, it could be the... Look, think, think about the, like the nuclear Cold War age, right? And how computationally driven it was with respect to um, essentially turning war into an algorithm, right? And it, it may be that in the automation of the command and control, that they have the, the, the what you're seeing with AI type systems being rolled out and being able to query things like chat GPT, they've probably had military equivalents where they're making these types of calculations and it would have sort of comprehended that, oh, this, uh, this weapon per se has been developed. The technology is there. It's going to be used. And so you there's almost an imperative to use it first so that you can extract the advantages and so it you know it i can picture a scenario where it may have been you know uh because of the siloed nature of military and the research and how it's bled over into um civilian um structures as well that the Well, the neural nets that are making the command and control decisions have essentially lined up and said, oh, you've got to do it this way. And that's, you know, how else, how else do you get all the social infrastructure to line up so that you maximize the impact from the, uh, the not only the initial agent, but the, uh, the countermeasures that have been uh, followed on with. And, you know, Anyone with half a brain can see that that was highly unusual. It went against what was established doctrine that had been worked on for um, decades. And there there was, and so, you know, it may, it may be that it's some sort of proxy of, or, or some Skynet type scenario that's done this. I don't know. I don't know, but all, all I can say at the moment with a limited data set and pulling on my own experience and the experience of others is that it looks like, and until proven otherwise, a biowarfare attack. And it's most people can't get past the idea of it's just, it must just be the pathogen itself. No, it's not. It's, it's obviously 
all these other mechanisms. And of course, if you, with hindsight, of course, is 2020. But if you look at it, of course, that's what you would aim for. And, you know, I was, I was talking with Joanna um, earlier today, or, or yesterday now. And, you know, it was Joanna who relayed that she, she there was an implicit understanding early in the 2000s that in order for maximal success in biowarfare type scenarios, you had to have this sort of derivative of um, binary agents. So agent plus you want to get the, the, the disease causing agent into as many critical individuals and institutions as possible. And we watch that happen. And that's that seems to me a very parsimonious way of explaining why we saw what we did. And perhaps, you know, there were people who would have been closer to these command and control networks that probably understood what it was doing. I'm sure, you know, the there's this premise that neural networks are essentially just oh you can't ever query what's happening between node to node and it's black box and yeah and i'm i'm not so sure that that's the case there are there are ways to sort of probe how um how the decision tree and which nodes and networks are responsible for um what's doing what and the and they would have seen the command and control networks potentially say, oh, we've, we're watching this do, uh, do this. It's made this decision. We can see where it's going. And so they know it's coming. And so they're, of, of course, going to um, try to uh, gain advantage from it. And, but then perhaps, I don't know, you can, it's this Basil's obelisk type scenario that, uh, what's you know maybe we're dealing with you know there is no time it's just it's just uh it's just emergent emergent reality and we're, we're getting input from the future etc who, who knows who knows but it was obviously very strange to see what we ha what, what happened at the initiating phases and now now what we're seeing is the emergence of prion biology beginning to become more prescient in people's minds as we understand the pathology better and again you've got to understand if it was just just a agent that was that, that was constrained by the parameters of natural biology well you would you could absorb that hit somewhat it would be painful but it's going to be way more painful now they've done that derivative binary component and shoved it into the arms of billions of people it's, there was no excuse for um, gene transfection of that peptide. No way, no how, and my button doesn't work for never. So um, I know I'm getting um, <laughs> pulled off track. Uh, let's see, Stark Guy's Daily Dose of uh, Buckyballs. Yeah, yeah, um, I don't recommend it, folks. <laughs> like I say, I just, I still feel um, bunged up right now. Uh, <laughs> isn't that something grifters were selling to counter cv19 yes yes unfortunately uh let's see prior biowarfare that was buried must be part of it yes 
ISIS, Israeli secret intelligence service. Yes. Jews are immune to spike protein. That's not true. And like I say, I've been the one that's um, been trying to bring that point to the public's attention. In terms of, you have to look at threat actors. And in the molecular biology, you're going to find clues as to who those threat actors could be. And the original Wuhan strain was, uh, in terms of interaction with the ACE2 receptor, the haplogroup, which was least, least impacted, was Ashkenazi. And, but that doesn't mean that they weren't, uh, not all Jews are Ashkenazi. And was it? Was it a state-run program or, you know, something more, I don't know, uh, like a cabal-like that was, you know, essentially every country and culture is going to have um, whatever, occult cabals, right, Kabbalists. And the um, perhaps it was a program by them because th these uh, – they're essentially perhaps more powerful than states because they've been able to accrue more wealth. They can do it through um, uh, non non legal means, etc. And you know that. And so I would I would argue that of course you have to look at the eschatology, and so of course you have to look at um, Jews in particular in this instance around that molecular binding and the fact that they are non-signatories to the biowarfare conventions, that they are a special case, that they're, uh, we're not allowed to, um, or they're allowed to maintain ambiguity. And that, that is an, that's an untenable situation to be um, in, in the current environment where this this type of warfare can be deployed and it's very difficult to detect because the amyloid just the just the 20 amino acid catalytic experiments that have been done no one no one would know how to look for that and it would be very very difficult to screen for and again i don't want to pave ways for um just bureaucracies, governments, corporations being able to find excuses to say we're going to control to the nth degree everything that's happening between individuals that's being sent back and forth and um, because they fear, <coughs> they fear, um, you know, a, a, a super, a super prion event. And it's the super prion event, which is, the I think what we're orbiting around in terms of molecular biology and Jews are just one threat actor on that horizon uh, 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 on the radar but we should be able to talk about them as much as we talk about Chinese as much as we talk about US whatever Western um, deep state actors and how they're how they're potentially all colluding together as much as we talk about um, Malthusians and their uh, their desire to uh, manage the human race because um, they sit in privileged positions and the one thing they fear is people 
cottoning on to the fact that, hey, you're, you're just a monkey in a gilded cage. And right now you're finding that um, that gilding is very, very thin and it's just a <laughs> it's just a bog standard uh, steel cage. And there they can yank the chains and withdraw um, your food and water anytime they please. And the... Um, you, you have to, you know, people that want to talk about depopulation agendas, etc. Well, okay, that's that's fine to to do that, but you've got to then start bringing evidence of how that would be happening. And sure, toxicological events wouldn't do it. You need something that amplifies through a population, and the one thing that we know does that is transmissible spongiform encephalopathies, prion disorders, and we're going to be finding a whole bunch out about ones that happen below the neck as above. So um, keep that in mind. So um, I hope that answered your question to Jews are immune to the spike protein. And like I say, I've been one of the few people that will actually have been speaking about that since very early on, since those papers came out and you know that's that's a hard hard path to walk down and navigate and um you know we're here now and you know, oh i want to say thank you to <laughs> i keep forgetting i keep looking at it and picking up but uh was it gary that sent this uh through the post uh really appreciate it i've uh i've, I've achieved a actual physical reward for uh my work so uh yeah a sort of blown glass uh coronavirus i guess it's very cool and uh <laughs> it's a nice nice uh objet d'art all right um so i'm sort of I'm, I'm i'm seeing the chat sort of pull away from me Muzzies want these goodies europeans have those leeches maybe reminds me of already jews in israel um not sure what that is on about on screen chat is not ingesting wtyl live chat right um that's because i forgot to switch it on so uh bear with me and it's it's one of the things that i've got to look at it should be working now Your on-screen display is a hot mess. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, and I'm not sure why. Let me a little bigger. Okay. Uh, let's see. Particularly benign breath. Benign breath. I mean. Uh, French got grapes stuck in ears, maybe. <laughs> There's no rules in war, just stuff written down that the winning side can use to further prosecute the loser. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for, well, you can, look, we know, we know civilians <laughs> come, come pretty low down the, uh, the, the ranking order when it comes to trying to achieve mission objectives. Just, just the way it is. Um, they're legitimate populations when the glove, uh, the 
legitimate targets when the gloves come off. Python has really great libraries instead of MATLAB. I suppose some are divided which one to use. Um, yeah, it's just uh, I was I had to work with MATLAB in my environment. So Doc was good at spanking the monkey. Yes, uh, it's all about logic and training, uh, I guess. Um, the effects of nuclear holocaust on the working class city of Sheffield, England, eventual long term effects of nuclear war on civilization. Um, yeah, that's a great movie, Fred's. Um, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's a bit cheesy, somewhat now, but um, far better than the day after. Um, have you heard of the British series called Survivors? Yes. Um, and uh, it was there was also was that the one by Boris Johnson's father? What was what was the book by Boris Johnson's father, which even named Wuhan as the <laughs> as a city where the virus would come from? Um, let's see. We hope the Russians, Israeli, Chinese love their children too. Yeah, yeah. Um, check out Dead Man's Letters. Okay, have it ripped but not watched. Probably made by something called Red Shoes Pharmaceuticals, Rothschild Company. Uh, Lindsay, good to see you. What do you guys think about Epstein's list? I saw Hawking was there. He liked them young, like Dershowitz. Yeah, um, I think... Look, uh, um, Epstein's list is old news, right? They're just feeding you stuff right now, again, to keep you distracted from as they're sort of circling each other in the ring of geopolitical posturing and if they're going to... Um, escalate the war and right now it's a case of you know you're seeing um, provocations taking place and positioning but you know they're you're in a fight right you want to make sure that you get into a position and your first shot is as disabling as possible and you don't want to telegraph it to the other side and the the russians and so far, the Iranians and much of the Middle East have been quite constrained. And I would, I would wager right now that they're taking a lot of counsel from Russian war planners. And you know, um, we're, we're learning that Russians are good at warfare. Um, they'll they'll sit in there and grind away, and they they can inflict a lot of damage. They're prepared to take casualties on a level that I don't think most Western countries would countenance these days. And so far, strategically, I think they're they're in the stronger position. And as the West tries to provocate, to try to essentially pull on those rules and laws which are there to say, oh, look, they've started the war. Now, we, now we've got a just reason to escalate and bring our um, big, big weapons, etc., into play. Um, let's see. Pretty sure Hawking was a stage prop. Nobody but him lived that long with his specific health problems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's some truth to that. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, I'm going I'm to have to try and skip through the... Oh, it's my alarm. Yeah. Switch. No, no, no. Go back. Good. Um, delicatessen French film. <laughs> um, so that's me up to date with the chat. So I'll get into... Uh, what what was the important data? Ah, uh, get the housekeeping. So yesterday we were sort of looking at this record number of excess deaths amid NHS strikes, um, and I made the point that I don't think it's NHS strikes because we see this excess death um, all across uh, many of the key uh, countries and. Um, who were? What's this one? <laughs> Wait, is that is that the October seventh? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that gives you an idea. So, the number of um, casualties spiked Israel's all-cause mortality look. How does that look in the bigger scheme of things? Um, you know, that's up there with uh, some of the worst um, all-cause mortalities um, in the in the key countries that we're looking at, right? So we're looking at UK, Japan, Russia, United States, Israel. I don't have Peru in there because I don't don't consider them. Um, part of the uh, waging waging this uh next gen conflict but um yeah uh israel had a spike in uh all cause mortality and you know you know how much of that was civilian versus military and we know that on that that particular day there was a military response very very quickly as those it was impossible that there wouldn't be and their gunships were up in the air and were basically blasting anything that moved and we know that they have this doctrine hannibal doctrine that they would um, let me know i'm not gonna uh, put the energy into reading this paper so anyway we see excess death um, across these countries and it's being maintained somewhat as we um, progress out from the acute acute effects of pandemics, uh, biowarfare attacks, however you want to look at it, and um, so the ethical skeptic has been he's he's done a much larger article on his Substack, but these are critical numbers that we should be looking at, particularly in light of the paper that we were doing yesterday, which which showed that uh, that the prion and amyloidogenic cascades and they made a point to focus on uh tdp 43 which uh 53 sorry which is one of these um cancer uh guardians in with your biology 
And what what did that paper say, which is that, oh, there's a whole bunch of amyloidogenic peptides that we hadn't even thought about previously. And it's obvious, well, I, I would say it would be obvious that those uh, those disease processes would impact the genes and peptides that are there to keep the cell in order and make sure that cancers don't get out of hand. And so one of the things that we would predict around SARS or, or, or around the cluster of events would be excess neurodegenerative disorders. The inflammothrombotic component, meaning blood disorders, and then if there is this attack on the uh, this you have to think like most people think of cancer as being um, the, the process of somehow impacting the genes. No, you 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 have to think an order above that, which is the impact on transcription factors, and then causing the misfold in peptides to occur, and that's where this sort of uh, the causal nature for all things like malignant neoplasms showing whatever it is. I think you said it was like nine sigma increase um, that we're seeing um, that is continuing to play out in real time. And you've got to think about how do, you, how do we have excess death in the young such that there's only so many ways you can take them out and like the neurodegeneration would be unusual. That would, you would have to say you've got another sort of variant Kreutzfeldt-Jakob, new variant Kreutzfeldt-Jakob, if that was the case. But I would argue that the neuro, neurological is going to manifest more in the young as this um, long hauler, uh, fo foggy thinking, brain fog, and what have you. But how are they, how are they killing? what should be a robust population, working population, breeding population. And so we, we can hone in on things like cancer. And now we have a mechanism after yesterday's paper that sort of concretizes that. And this, this data now begins to make sense. And you don't need the gene integration into the nucleus to do it. Okay, it, th there's a level of interaction that can occur in the cytoplasm that's essentially, well, pre and post uh, translation. Uh, let's see. Uh, I switched to Rumble. I switched to Twitch because Rumble stopped for me. Twitch is steady. Um, Kevin has a fight video of his own, Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I've been in plenty of fights, but, uh, you know, if you're going to go around uh, jacking the locals um, in Japan, you want to make sure you've got all the evidence on your side. So, yeah, I have a, <laughs> I have a, a street fighter video of my own. <laughs> uh, Rumble is just goofy. Leave Doc's kerosene PC. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, okay, okay. So the stream seems fine. So anyway, um, he's got a few other graphs in here that were interesting. Um, 
PPI. Um, not sure what PPI is in this instant. Neoplasm treatment, constant dollars. And here we can see that, you know, it was trending upwards. Yeah, towards end of 2020, maybe. Uh, we'll say, we'll, just for sake of argument, we'll say it correlates very strongly with um, the vaccine uptake window. And then it's sort of streaming up. And uh, you could argue it's maybe leveling out. But this is the cost, the, the cost of treatment and how much resources is being diverted towards treating um, neoplasms. And neoplasms is just um, cancer in this instance. Was the last figure... Um, all malignant neoplasms it's not just uh, in the young right and i think one of his next ones is well, maybe it's in the article but uh, new cancer cases per year 2023 uh, report and you can see that new new cancer cases are um way above the predicted area that which was covered by this um uh, red um red bounding and we have an 11% or 11.5% excess. And this, this fits what I was talking about yesterday. And so, well, we, we have, so you've got to think of prions and amyloidogenic disease processes as something that, you know, can lead to things like cancer. But then what about the um, myalgia, and joint muscle pain fatigue that we see in um, long, uh, long COVID. Is there a molecular marker in muscle that we can look for? And this is what the paper is that I want to look at today because potentially they found one that fits. Ah, <laughs> you had enough? Oh, never enough, Jiri Bakshi, never enough. Um, Let's just see uh, who that was. <coughs> oh man, I'm just bringing up uh, <laughs> chunks of <laughs> chunks of uh, fullerene <laughs> bucky balls. All right. Let's see, good doggy clip, clip found by unstable mutation. Mad Max world. Jones mentions top scientists claiming people infected with prion crystals that create cancer and cut the DNA, a key spot-delayed reaction weapons. Mm. Um, I don't know. The, the link didn't quite come... Well, let me just look at it in Discord. Wait a second. looking at new COVID strain will cause global heart failure pandemic global heart failure pandemic and they go in and say oh scientists around the world and in japan they've they've looked at the new variant it has a spike protein on it they all do the hiv spike protein and it attacks the heart and causes viral myocarditis 
well, wait, if it's just the new strain causing it, why have we seen record heart failure, myocarditis, blood clots, strokes since the shot started in January of 2021? Why does the EPA's own fact sheet in October of 2020, months before the shot started, predict a list of probable side effects or adverse reactions heart attacks, myocarditis, blood clots, strokes. And that's just the side effect of these babies going in and attacking all your DNA and your testicles and your ovaries. Big report up on Infowars.com. Experts say new COVID stream will cause global heart failure pandemic. Oh, that's what did it. Lie to you about what's happening now. InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. Visit InfoWars.com forward slash show and share the link today. I've not been this excited ever! Oh, yeah, Mug Club, baby! Wow! The replatforming begins now. Join Mug Club and get one month free with promo code Alex at JonesCrowder.com. We have top scientists with the nations that have reporting data, so it's higher than that, 17 million conservatively killed by the shots. The rest infected with prion crystals that basically create cancer and cut the DNA strand right at the key spot. I mean, they have hit us and hit us hard with a soft kill, delayed reaction weapon. I'm sorry to have to announce that to you. But that's why the illegal aliens are exempt. They want them as the new replacement population. But it's, 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 it's just the reality, and it's hard. I am, I'm inclined to agree with uh, Mr. Jones. Um, can we speed it up somewhat? Yeah, just 1.5 times. All right, fine. Here's some more of the news on that front. And then we're going to your phone calls. Mass mandates return to healthcare facilities across the U.S. In blue cities and blue states, liberals celebrate. And now they're saying they're going to bring it back to the airports. I told you this back in August. They plan to bring it in the fall and winter. And we've held it back partially, but here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Pandemic forever. L.A. County reinstates healthcare facility mask mandate. And now the businesses. What the, what's that? Uh, Going to put HIV patient up on the screen. Look at that. That's like uh, what's her face from uh, Fight Club. <laughs> what's her? She was just. I've, I, I just want to get bang. I just want to get fucked one more time. <laughs> I've got uh, lubricants, dildos, pornos. <laughs> what was her name? Oh, what, a, what an epic character in a movie. <laughs> but that's, that's, look at the state of that on the screen. Everything else for following suit. Told you they were going to try that. We have all these bizarre videos. Which Mike Cerner was retweeted, reposted. People out protesting, demanding the mask come back. Very, very sad, mindless people. Now, here's the really big report. Zero heads. It's also AP Reuters everywhere over the weekend. Experts say new COVID strain will cause global heart failure pandemic. Global heart failure pandemic. And they go in and say, oh, scientists around the world and in Japan, they've, they've looked at the new variant. It has a spike protein on it. They all do. The HIV spike protein. And it attacks the heart and causes viral myocarditis. Well, wait, if it's just the new strain causing it, why have we seen record heart failure, myocarditis, blood clots, strokes since the shot started in January of 2021? Why does the EPA's own fact sheet... Not well, we were, we were seeing them prior to that as well. <laughs> the question is, has it really accelerated? And um, if ethical skeptics data, is there anything to go by? That question is, yes. October 2020, months before the shot started, predict a list of probable side effects or adverse reactions. 
Heart attacks, myocarditis, blood clots, strokes. And that's just the side effect of these babies going in and attacking all your DNA and your testicles and your ovaries. Big report up on Infowars.com. Experts say new COVID will cause global heart failure pandemic. Oh, that's what did it. 231 current former U.S. military service members demand military leaders be court-martialed over forced COVID vaccine, which was experimentally legal by law. Service members were significantly harmed by these actions. That's what the letter first was put out. Now tens of thousands have signed on. That's making a big splash. That's good. We're going to have some guests on Thursday dealing with that. Here's a Fox News report. Have Rexy on. God damn it. How come you can't get Charles to be speaking to these people? Dr. Mark Siegel on what's behind the decline in U.S. life expectancy mm -hmm, for the first time ever. Up 25% among 35 to 44-year-olds and up 90% among 25 to 34-year-olds. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Uh, can we just scroll that back a little bit? Dr. Mark Siegel on what's behind the decline in U.S. life expectancy. Mortality up 25% among 35 to 44-year-olds, up 19% among 25 to 34-year-olds. The vaccine, which definitely saved lives. Nobody is studying what the long-term effects of the vaccine are. You don't know how to spell uh, elephant, sir. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I know there are going to be some people who say, ah, ah, it's all fentanyl. Well, it, it's not because it's happening in other countries that don't have uh, a fentanyl problem. And so that kind of nukes uh, that particular idea uh, in the bud. And it's move on and you know you you want this you, you want to be impacting the fighting age demographic right up 25 percent among 35 to 44 year olds and up 90 percent among 25 34 year olds but the vaccine which supposedly saved lives nobody is studying what the long-term effects of the vaccine here are that's also an elephant in the room it didn't save any lives it was all lies Congressman matt gates supports anti-vax mandate declaration of military accountability that's important. One month after receiving COVID jab injection, woman develops arthritis. Yep. New study with safety concerns about the COVID shots arise. New safety concerns about the COVID shots arise. That's quite the stack of news on that front, isn't it? We interrupt our program. Um, interesting. Thank you, good doggy. Uh, oh, um... And uh, yes, uh, that tax evader stuff. I forgot it's uh, it's Saint Arafat Day. Didn't that did that play? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, yeah, it's Saint Arafat's Day. Uh, please, 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 please feed the bleaks on the plantation. I've just realised that my head is in the way. That very important graph. But there, there you go. Eleven point five percent excess, and that's in. Um, that's in the United States. And I think we're seeing that elsewhere. And like I say, I relayed um, the discussions I had with the clinic I'm collaborating with, and they're seeing lymphomas in the young that seem unusual. And so um, we're, we're going to try and get that tissue and see if we can um, pull out what's in there. And it may be that... <clears throat> if it's not uh, the 
if it's not integrating into the genome per se, but it's the impact on the translation and the uh, the prion-like cascades within these um, cancer guardian uh, peptides, then you wouldn't find the integration, and so it would it would slip under the radar in this instance. So keep that in mind as well. Um, Let's see, Brenda ripped AJ a new arsehole, his last schizoid fed post. It was hilarious. Um, well, you know, that's just broke back Brenda, right? Um, Charles is too truthy. Maybe, and Charles Charles isn't there uh, grifting, right? He's, he's, literally, he's literally just talking straight up bioweapons and uh, maybe people don't want to um, see that. Uh, Dank, love your Jewish Jones video. Um, don't know what that means. Uh, show Jones did with brother Nathaniel is a fun watch. Um, he did a video with brother Nathaniel. Is that what this link is to WTYL? Sorry, it's taken so long to get to the paper, but <laughs> just uh, I've got to I've got to keep abreast of uh, <laughs> crazy on the internet. Um. Jewish Jones. I'm going to stop you right there. I am Jewish. We need to be like 100 or 200 million strong because they, they literally are trying to kill us. People are always talking about they, they are out of control. They are killing us. We have to identify who the real enemy is. We have to, we have to know where does this infiltration come from? And when you really step back and take an honest look at every single level of our federal bureaucracy, there's one little nation state of Israel that everybody's afraid to talk about. It'll get you nuked off the internet. It'll get your Twitter shut down. It'll get you kicked off of Rumble. It'll scare advertisers away from doing business with you if you talk about Zionist infiltration. So if that's the one... Look, I can't stand stupid Peters and his pushing of uh, <laughs> fucking nanobots, right? When it should have been talk about prions. But, ah, you know, <laughs> even a uh, stuck clock is right twice a day, right? Sensitive subject that nobody wants us to talk about, then I think it's pretty obvious that's the thing that we should be talking about. Uh, I, I, I get you know what I want to talk about? You know what I want to, uh, listen, we're in the middle of World War III. And are Jews welcome to join you in the fight against the New sure, World Sure, yeah, pick up, yeah, absolutely. Yes, real Jews or fake Khazars that want to kill us? I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> I am Jewish. Jews, 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 Jews. Do I just go Jew, 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 24 hours a day, no sleep, or I'm a sellout. Just like Jews, 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 Jews. I'm gonna stop you right there. I am Jewish. <laughs> right, do what you normally would do. You're such a fat ass, Cartman. At least I'm not a stupid Jew. What, what, what? I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> I am Jewish. Jewelish? Hanukkah is late. I can't spell its name. That's what the goyim say. Oi, oi. That's what the goyim say. Oi, oi. Take off for all eight days. My boss wants me to stay. But there's nothing he can say. Nothing he can say But I keep schmoozing 
This might sound confusing It's like I got this new thing In my mind saying it's almost Friday night And the going gonna stay, 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 stay The Jews are gonna pray, 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 pray But I'm just gonna take, 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 take I'm taking off, taking off I'm just on a break, 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 break They might try to fake, 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 fake up. I'm just gonna take, 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 take I'm taking off, taking off I'm taking off, I'm taking off, ah ah, I'm taking off, I'm taking off, ah ah, I'm taking off, I'm taking off, ah ah, I'm taking off, I'm taking off. Nee, 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 what's that for do? When I eat in this bad and red tish, dry saharim, team kunish with that label, with that type of eye. Man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm Touche, bro. Uh, shout out to our dank memes there. <laughs> this video isn't Um To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. Um, well, they're certainly taking some criticism right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just happened to notice that the, uh, what should we say, the physiognomy of uh, the, uh, the Jew in that particular video was a classic, classic K26R. All right. Enjoy <laughs> the video is just an excuse to watch a shitty music video. Yeah, well, it was funny. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's get into the paper, right, which is this one. Muscle abnormalities. Uh, it came out yesterday. Worsen after post-exertional malaise in long COVID. Ah, it, you know, it's kind of a, a innocuous sounding title, but as you scan across the abstract, oh, it gets uh, far, far more interesting. So a subgroup of patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 remain symptomatic over three months after infection. A distinctive symptom of patients with long COVID is post-exertional malaise, meaning that, you know, you, <laughs> I don't know, you try to do some housework and, and basically you've got to spend the next day in bed. And um, that's kind of the story of my life at the moment. But 
uh, anyway, which is associated with worsening of fatigue and pain-related symptoms after acute mental or physical exercise, but its underlying pathophysiology is unclear. With this longitudinal case control study, we provide new insights into the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise in patients with long COVID. We show that skeletal muscle structure is associated with a lower exercise capacity in patients and local and systemic metabolic disturbances. Severe exercise-induced myopathy and tissue infiltration of amyloid-containing deposits in skeletal muscles of patients with long COVID worsen after induction of post-exertional malaise. This study highlights novel pathways that help to understand the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise in patients suffering from long COVID and other post-infectious diseases. So, uh, chronic sequelae after acute infections contributing to debilitating conditions that affect millions worldwide. And just in case someone is new here and uh, you're looking at the title, uh, prions uh, in muscles, amyloids are prions, proteinaceous infectious particles. Um, please go and see the thousands of hours I've done on other uh, streams just explaining uh, what the... Second, what the or what the similarities and differences are between space. Uh, you want a deep, or, or should we say, a real, a, a, a rapid way, if you're in this state, to perhaps give you some alleviation. Uh, please uh, think about heparin uh, apheresis, and this is a study I'm happy to be associated with, and um, this is being able to just scroll down and look real quick at the figures here, and uh, yes, so this platelet activation and um, what we find are these amyloidogenic clots that they fluoresce with fireflavin and using this um, basically extracting out uh, your blood and cleaning out uh, the plasma um, reduces the amount of amyloid uh, circulating now does it get rid of it entirely maybe not and it might particularly if you're in a bad way, it might require a essentially sort of maintenance uh, doses, uh, or not doses, treatments. Uh, who knows? We don't know. We don't know how long, but potentially prion disorder would be uh, a potentially lifelong uh, condition that you would have to deal with. So, um, so the extent to which underlying physiology of impaired exercise capacity can be separated from factors related to the onset of post-exertional malaise remains unclear, largely due to indirect assessment of the underlying biomedical and psychological parameters, the cross-sectional nature of most studies, and patient heterogeneity. In this study, we systematically induced post-exertional malaise in a cohort of 25 well-defined patients with long COVID and controls. We obtained blood and skeletal muscle biopsies before and after a maximal exercise test with the aim to study the biological factors contributing to the limited exercise capacity and post-exertional malaise in long COVID. Results were compared with those obtained from 21 age and age and sex match controls, who fully recovered from a mild SARS-CoV-2 infection. 
We characterize long and skeletal muscles of patients with long COVID worsen after the induction of post-exertional malaise. So, results. All participants performed a cardiopulmonary exercise test on a cycle ergometer. Maximum oxygen uptake and peak power output was substantially lower in long COVID patients, despite marked interpatient heterogeneity. Patients with long COVID had lower maximal ventilation and lower maximum end tidal partial pressure of CO2, implying poor, poorer ventilatory function during exercise. The cardiovascular system was not compromised in long COVID patients. That's good to know. Uh, suggesting that this system does not explain the limited exercise capacity in patients with long COVID. The lower maximum O2 pulse, i.e. the product of stroke volume and arteriovenous O2 difference, gas exchange threshold and peripheral O2 extraction uh, determined via, well, essentially the uh, pulse ox um, during exercise all indicated peripheral skeletal muscle impairments in patients. And if my pulse ox was working, you know, that's one thing that I've had since uh, my run in with COVID. And, uh, you know, we I got Charles as my witness and we used his uh, fancy um, Fitbit type pulse ox and mine was coming in at 91. And if I use the end finger ones, I will generally, uh, I hold around sort of average 94 to 96, um, where it used to be, you know, I, I never had that problem before. So. Um, Let's see. Lost my place. The lower VO2 max in patients was not due to submaximal effort during the exercise test, as the proportion of participants attaining a plateau in VO2 did not differ between the groups. The gas exchange threshold was at similar percentages of VO2 max and secondary criteria lactate. Maximal RER. Um, resting. Respiration rate, respiration rate, I assume that be, and heart rate were attained in both groups. And um, yeah, you can just see the very simple metrics here that the long COVID group is suffering with respect to um, volume of O2, power output, and gas exchange threshold. And um, deoxyheme saturation, I guess, uh, percent max. Okay. And it's this deoxyheme interaction work rate, relative work rate. And yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the long COVIDs are uh, struggling in this instance. And, and again, you've got to think about this in terms of a uh, in terms of a strategic weapon, right? If you have a countermeasure to this, then your fighting forces are going to have a significant advantage over those that are having to labor with this uh, this pathophysiology. And so, okay, you can say, well, you know, it's not everyone, but then a fighting unit has to be made up of, you know, whatever. Um, let's, let's say you've got a platoon and it's 24 men. And if five of your men are not uh, functioning optimally, then you're there chance of success on the battlefield is going to be reduced. So um, this is why these incapacitation agents are such a uh, um, juicy target for 
the biowarfare um, industries and because they're not illegal. And yeah, who cares if you get some long-term protein misfolding disorder? Can't be associated with <laughs> with our work. What's the matter with you, Governor? We just, uh, we just gave you long COVID for a few months. You should be uh, right as rain afterwards. So, um, the video sounds seem better on WTYL. Yeah, it is. The video and sound is far better on WTYL. Um, you should be using it more, folks. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I suppose if I don't put the chat in, but okay. Next, we assessed skeletal muscle structure and function to explain the lower exercise capacity in patients. Capillary density and the capillary to fiber ratio were not different between groups. However, patients exhibited a trend towards lower capillary to fiber ratios. Uh, yeah, it's not passing significance. And capillary to fiber ratio correlated to VO2 max in both groups with identical slope and intercept. Compared to healthy controls, we observed a higher proportion of highly fatigable glycolytic fibers in the vastus lateralis muscle in long COVID patients. Vastus lateralis. Hmm. I'd have to check that one. Uh, oh, okay. It's that sort of, it's, I thought that was called, um, didn't it begin with an S? It's been a long time since I had to do muscular anatomy. Um, anyway, uh, from the leg muscles. Uh, so... Yeah, highly fatigable glycolytic fibers, etc., along with a lower cross-sectional area of fatigue-resistant type 1 fibers in females only. Fiber cross-sectional area was positively associated with maximal power output in both groups, albeit with a significantly lower intercept for patients. For a given skeletal muscle size, patients did not attain the same peak power output, suggesting that exercise performance in patients was at least partially explained by intrinsic alterations in skeletal muscle force and fatigue characteristics. Succinate dehydrogenase activity, a marker for mitochondrial content correlated with VO2 max in healthy controls, but not in patients. Um, Um, some people, man. All right. Uh, let's see. If I'm streaming, try not to trigger my Discord. <laughs> Unless it's something really important. Uh, all right. So while patients had a significantly lower oxidative phosphorylation capacity, no difference were observed in succinate dehydrogenase. Suggestive of qualitatively lower mitochondrial respiration rather than a lower mitochondrial enzyme activity. Collectively, our data indicate that the lower exercise capacity in long COVID patients is associated with a greater proportion of highly fatigable glycolytic fibers and lower mitochondrial function, with the possible additional limitation of a lower 
depilarization and the ventilatory system. So I don't know if we can get a better resolution on this. Okay. is per millimeter squared. Uh, well, yeah, it said it wasn't significant, right? So um, Hillary's lectin. Mm. Like my my immediate just take from this cross-sectional anatomy is that the it's more dense uh, with respect to capillaries here. Mm, I, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, uh, let's see. What did we have here? Capillary density, capillary fiber ratio, and okay. then fiber type distribution. And so type one are like the the explosive ones that you use for um, like power and sprinting, right? Type one muscle fiber, and they are no, they're the slow twitch ones. So opposite, it's type two. So uh, type two A fibers or fast oxidative fibers. Okay, so. Um, type 1 plus 1, 2A, not significant, but type 2 is significantly different. And so measures of power, significant difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Back to article page. Metabolic and mitochondrial dysfunction in long COVID patients worsens with post-exertional malaise. Okay. So oxidative phosphorylation, so maybe it would help this. Keyboard not working. Hang on. What? Well, um, remember I said the <laughs> the if the computer breaks. Oh no! Don't break now. Oh, we we just have to struggle on with it i hope that hope that cooler arrives soon so i don't know let's see what we can see here so oxfos capacity is reduced in long covid versus um well, the day after as well so there's a significant difference in the succinate dehydrogenase so muscle metabolomics long covid compared to healthy and baseline one day after post-exertional malaise and i'm not sure what a hedges g effect size here is in this diagram but i'm presuming it's something to do with these metabolic markers and uh, muscle metabolomics 
I'm not sure how this is sort of quantitative data. It just feels more like a um, graphic, basically, you know, a graphical summary. Let's see what it says for D. So effect size D and E were calculated with hedges G. I'm not sure what that hedges G is. I'll ask uh, GPT. Yeah, my keyboard has stopped working. It's not. I don't know what's going. Something. Something's messing up with it. I can't. I can't. Ah, stupid thing. Let's try again. Undo stuff off mouse. HSG is a statistical measure used primarily in meta-analysis to estimate effect size, particularly the standardized mean difference between two groups. It's a variation of Cohen's D, but includes a correction for small sample sizes, which makes it more accurate when dealing with studies that don't have a large number of participants. Here's a look at Hedges G. Hedges G is used to under, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's just some statistical measure, etc. Um, so um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the measures here are, whether it's not a, um, it's not giving a measure that I would understand here. So unless I read what the output is, how it's, how it's significant in this instance, it's not clear to me, but I'll, I'll take it that they do find a significant difference in this instance. So metabolic dysfunction and post-exertional malaise. To understand peripheral factors contributing to the development of post-exertional malaise, we obtained vastus lateralis muscle biopsies before and one day after the induction of post-exertional malaise. All long COVID patients experienced post-exertional malaise following maximum maximal exercise despite considerable heterogeneity in exercise capacity. Symptoms included muscle pain, greater severity of fatigue and cognitive symptoms up to seven days after maximal exercise. To systemically assess whether metabolic and mitochondrial dysfunction is associated with the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise, we measured mitochondrial respiration and metabolomic signatures in skeletal muscle before and one day after the induction of post-exertional malaise. Mitochondrial respiration was assessed in hyperoxic conditions to avoid diffusion limitations for oxygen that could contribute to exercise intolerance in vivo. Um, mitochondrial respiration was assessed in hyperoxic conditions, um, meaning that the exercise was done in hyperoxic conditions, or the whatever these uh, metabolic tests in a test tube. Anyway, oxidative phosphorylation capacity decreased one day following the maximal exercise in both controls and patients. SDH activity was not reduced in healthy controls one day after exercise, but was reduced in long COVID patients, suggesting that the combination of reduced maximal mitochondrial respiration and decreased mitochondrial content are part of the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise. 
To better understand the resting skeletal muscle metabolism during post-exertional malaise, we annotated 116 metabolites in skeletal muscle and 83 metabolites in venous blood, figures 3D and E. Yeah, that, that's... Um, it's more a uh, sort of graphical abstract rather than um, there being data to extract from that. But uh, so, you know, I've got to <coughs> remember, stretch my memory banks to try to remember these um, different respiration pathways, uh, pentose phosphate pathway, etc. And mm, Citric acid cycles. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Whatever, whatever. Um to systemically assess whether metabolic mitochondrial dysfunction is associated with pathophysiology of post exertional malaise. We measured mitochondrial respiration. Yep, we did this. Oxidative phosphorylation capacity decreased one day following maximal exercise in both controls. And okay. SD8 was not reduced. We did that. To better understand the resting skeletal muscle metabolism during post-exertion malaise, we annotated the 116 metabolites. Yeah. And skeletal muscle biopsies were obtained at rest, and while skeletal muscle glycolytic metabolites displayed few group differences, key metabolites of the tricarboxylic acid cycle, including glutamate, FAD+, alpha-ketoglutarate, and citric acid, were lower in skeletal muscle of long COVID patients. The ratio of citric acid to lactate in skeletal muscle was lower in long COVID patients, indicative of a shift away from oxidative metabolism in patients. Skeletal muscle creatine concentrations were lower in patients with long COVID, likely contributing to the lower oxidative phosphorylation capacity in patients. We also observed lower S-adenosylmethionine um, SAM in patients, possibly linking to reduced methylation and SAM cycle activity in long COVID patients. Dihydroxyacetone phosphate, an important intermediate in lipid biosynthesis and glycolysis, was reduced in patient skeletal muscle following post-exertional malaise. The lower hydroxyphenylacetic acid in patients is typically associated with increased mitochondrial production of reactive oxygen species. Metabolites related to pyrimidine, uh, pyrimidine sorry, and purine synthesis, such as ATP, which is a metabolically demanding process, tend to, tended to be lower between healthy controls and long COVID patients upon the induction of post-exertional malaise. I mean, you know, just uh, everything that's being written out here, I'm saying, oh, yeah, you know, just, um, I don't know. Imagine... Um, it's, it's not quite the feeling of like you've had a workout where you have like that lactic acid feeling. Like when I was younger, I used to not mind that feeling. It was almost sort of, um, well, I suppose it would depend how intense it was, but there's, there are, there are sort of fundamental differences to how it presents. It doesn't, the post, Post-exertion malaise is a more, it's more um, toxic feeling, I guess, would, would be my way of describing it. It doesn't feel like you've done something useful for the muscle. 
Whereas in, if you're in a fit state, you can do that exercise and you'd be like, oh, okay, it, it feels, I, I feel the benefits, even though, um, you know, it's the no pain, no gain. Whereas in the, in the post COVID or ME-CFS state, it just feels, it's more like just feeling sick more than anything, right? You just feel drained and in pain. So where were we? The induction of post-exertional malaise led to a reduction in blood glycolytic metabolites after one week without changes, changes in TCA cycle metabolites in long COVID patients. Various blood metabolites within the purine pathway were lower in patients compared to controls, but did not change with the induction of post-exertional malaise. From these analysis, we conclude that TCA cycle metabolites were lower in skeletal muscle and blood in long COVID patients, but did not change during post-exertional malaise. Venous blood glycolytic metabolites were higher at baseline during post-exertional malaise, but decreased one week after the induction post-exertional malaise. Right, here's the interesting bit. Exercise-induced amyloid-containing deposit accumulation in skeletal muscle. It has been hypothesized that amyloid-containing deposits in the circulation can block local perfusion in long COVID, causing ischemia reperfusion injury. We studied whether amyloid-containing deposits were present in the skeletal muscle of long COVID patients and whether the indication of post-exertional malaise changed the concentration. We demonstrated that the concentration of amyloid-containing deposits was greater in the skeletal muscle of long COVID patients at baseline and increased similarly in both groups after the induction of post-exertional malaise. So in both groups, you're getting amyloid-like deposits. Interesting. Um, It's greater in COVID patient lines at baseline, increased similarly in both groups after post-exertional malaise. Okay. As an additional control group, skeletal muscle biopsies obtained before the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2 had similar amounts of amyloid-containing deposits as a healthy control group, confirming a basal non-SARS-CoV-2 specific abundance of amyloid-containing deposits in healthy controls. That is interesting. We next studied the location of these amyloid-containing deposits. Visualizing amyloid-containing deposits together with capillaries or lymph vessels revealed that the skeletal amyloid-containing deposits were not located in capillaries or lymphatic vessels, but rather next to capillaries and in the extracellular matrix between muscle fibers. Mm. It kind of makes sense. So once, once they're forming the the aggregation, it's not gonna it's not gonna be able to dissolve across um capillary membranes or lymphatic membranes. So uh the you get the seed pass into the muscle, it starts the aggregation process, it can't get back out. So uh Amyloid-containing deposits did not overlap with cell nuclei, suggesting that these deposits are located outside infiltrating immune cells. We conclude that the amyloid-containing deposits are not present within capillaries. Neither did we observe any signs of skeletal muscle tissue hypoxia as the skeletal muscle capillary to fiber ratio, capillary density, and intracellular and circulating lactate concentrations. Uh, supplemental figures. Uh, we, what you don't okay, at least they've got uh, 
some amyloid pictures here. So, where were we? Neither did we observe any signs of skeletal muscle tissue hypoxia as the skeletal muscle capillary to fiber ratio, capillary density, and intracellular and circulating lactate concentrations were not different between long COVID patients and controls. Therefore, we conclude that post-exertional malaise cannot be explained by the hypothesis that these deposits block vessel perfusion, causing local tissue hypoxia. The underlying, underlying reason for the increased intramuscular accumulation of amyloid-containing deposits during post-exertional malaise remains elusive. So let's have a look at this. Mm -mm -mm. But anyway, they're, they're using um, fireflavin and, you know, it's obvious in these two panels here on A, you can see the B and healthy air, eh, you can see one or two little, little spots, barely, barely detects. Yeah. So here's the measure of amyloid containing deposits. <laughs> And um, I guess the localization of it between, so it's sort of within the intracellular space. Mm. So it would it would be interesting if they'd managed to find what what was the nature of the amyloid which which peptide was it in this instance we don't know uh, that that might explain why we would see differences between um the muscle or, or the inside of the what's what the muscle cells called sarco sarcomeres right um And if, like a muscle cell is, you know, it's packed full of the actin and myosin, right? So there's not much space in it. It's all it's all protein, and the, like often the nucleus is sort of squished against the side. But it's it's kind of interesting phenomenon. Anyway. Um, so exercise induced myopathy in long COVID. So to further elucidate the pathophysiology of increased muscle weakness, fatigue and pain after exercise in long COVID patients, we determined whether specific pathological features were present in skeletal muscle before and after the induction of post-exertional malaise. As the biopsy size was variable between participants and time points, we scored biopsies negative, positive for pathological and immunological parameters. A larger percentage of long COVID patients displayed small atrophic fibers and focal necrosis, which increased significantly after exercise, indicating an exacerbated tissue damage response in patients with long COVID. Since skeletal muscle is a plastic tissue, signs of, signs of skeletal muscle regeneration, such as a centralized nuclei, were more evident in long COVID patients, also before the induction of post-exertional malaise. 
acutely regenerating fibres evidenced by central nuclei and a basophilic cytoplasm were seen in biopsies from both groups and exhaustive exercise increased the proportion of regenerating fibres in both healthy controls and long COVID patients without group differences. We conclude that severe exercise-induced muscle damage and subsequent regeneration were associated with the pathophysiology of exertional malaise and can possibly explain pain, fatigue and weakness patients with long COVID experience, experiencing post-exertional malaise. And, mm, okay, so, better resolution. Percentage of participants, atrophy. So, already there were atrophying fibers, and I guess this would be an atrophying fiber maybe i'm my uh my muscle anatomy was uh <laughs> many many decades ago now um okay so necrosis yeah that one is obvious but i'm presuming this one is the atrophying and this one is the atrophying fibers um so yeah here you can see well basically dying dying tissue and if that's if that's there um of a biopsy imagine that being all through all through the body and all all the muscles basically um that would suck it does suck and uh internal nuclei uh so okay they're i think they're looking here and regeneration Okay, so lots of dividing, or lots of nuclei cells. Eh, I'm not sure what the difference is here and here. Again, you would have to be a, a keyed-in anatomist for this. Um, so CD3, CD68, yeah, so immune markers, and what, what are they? And epithelial markers, right? And CD20. All right, let's go back to the article. But you know, this necrosis—that's um, that's the standout pathology for me here, more than anything. And if you've if you've got amyloid building up, then you, you know it stands to reason that you're going to get um, cells dying and necrosis. Uh, it happens in. Well, it certainly happens in the central nervous system. So next we explored the infiltration of immune cells, T and B cells in skeletal muscle upon exhaustive exercise. More long COVID patients had CD68 macrophage infiltration in skeletal muscle compared to healthy controls. Exercise caused a similar increase in infiltrating macrophages in both groups. CD3 plus T cells were absent in healthy controls, but present in patients with long COVID before induction of post-exertional malaise. Exercise resulted in accumulation of CD3 plus T cells inside skeletal muscle tissue, but this response was blunted in patients experiencing post-exertional malaise. CD20 B cells were no different between groups intended to be higher one day after exercise. We reasoned that the exercise-induced damage and infiltration of immune cells might be due to mitochondrial DNA, fragments circulating in the systemic circulation that act as a damage-associated 
yeah, the, the molecular pattern triggering a systemic inflammatory response. However, we did not find any ev evidence of an exacerbated circulating mitochondrial DNA response in plasma from patients compared to controls. Neither did we observe an increase in muscle breakdown products such as creatinine, creatine kinase in the plasma of both groups, circulating cortisol concentrations critical for mediating homeostatic stress responses were not different between groups at the time of measurement with and without adjustments for time since waking. You see, and th there, you, there you're getting into the problems where people would go with these types of conditions to doctors and they would say, look, I've got these um, symptoms, etc. And um, these markers are, you know, it's requiring very specialized, focused approaches to tease out these effects. And I suppose now with this uh, studies like this, the, perhaps the tests generally will get better for people. So um, let's see, SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid presence in skeletal muscle. Uh, I bet this looks like CW deer meat samples. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, become the amyloidosis, right? Um, let's see. Stop streaming if your cooling isn't happening. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's hanging in there. I'll I'll wrap it up soon. Um. SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid presence in skeletal muscle. So to determine whether viral remnants play a role in a differential immune response in skeletal muscle in long COVID, upon induction of post-exertional malaise, we stained all muscle suction for SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein. We reasoned that if viral persistence plays a role, then the SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein, which is specific to SARS-CoV-2 and not influenced by vaccinations, should be at least present. While we did not observe any positive staining in samples obtained before the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2, we found SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein in almost all patients and healthy controls. Interesting. Um, despite a greater duration since the last infection in long COVID patients, the amount of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein was not different between groups before and after adjusting for time since last latest infection. Participants with an infection greater than six months prior to study enrollment showed no differences in the abundance of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein, but we cannot exclude additional unknown asymptomatic infections. SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein was not located inside muscle fibers, but rather in the extracellular matrix. However, its presence did not consistently overlap with cell nuclei. There was no correlation between the presence of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein and amyloid-containing deposits. Mm. I wonder why they didn't stain for spike in this instance. But anyway, um, for some reason, some people are more susceptible to this amyloid triggering and um, the... So you know, once once it's initiated, right? It's you know the 
it's it's going to of course it's going to act independently from the viral peptides which perhaps seeded it and so and we don't know what the particular response to nucleocapsid is now i've run the analysis with respect to nucleocapsid protein and it is highly amyloidogenic and it scores very highly in the plaque algorithm So, yeah. so the concentration of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein was not altered after the development of post-exertional malaise. Our results suggest that the presence of residual SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein is similar between patients and healthy controls, and therefore does not explain limited exercise capacity or development of post-exertional malaise in patients with long COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I can barely. Okay, so yeah, there's there's tiny little fragments, I guess. Um, Right, so here's the discussion. So we aim to disentangle the pathophysiology of a lower exercise capacity and post-exertional malaise in patients with long COVID and reveal distinct pathophysiological abnormalities in skeletal muscle and blood in long COVID patients using a longitudinal case-controlled cohort design. Patients with long COVID displayed a markedly lower exercise capacity which related to skeletal muscle metabolic alterations and a shift towards more fast, fatigable fibers. Pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise includes an acute exercise-induced reduction in skeletal muscle, mitochondrial enzyme activity, and increased accumulation of amyloid-containing deposits in skeletal muscle, signs of severe muscle tissue damage, together with a blunted exercise-induced T-cell response in skeletal muscle. Collectively, these findings help to decipher the underlying physiology of fatigue and the limited exercise capacity from the development of post-exertional malaise in patients with long COVID. A low exercise capacity is one of the hallmark signs of long COVID associated with a substantial burden for daily life. Vent excuse me, the ventilatory and central cardiovascular system did not limit exercise capacity in long COVID patients but our results confirm previous suggestions of a peripheral impairment in skeletal muscle metabolism in long COVID patients. Our results confirm previous suggestions of peripheral impairment in skeletal muscle metabolism. Okay. Consistent with previous hypothesis, we demonstrate that long COVID is associated with a lower skeletal muscle oxidative phosphorylation capacity, the occurrence of more 2AX hybrid fibers and rare 1-2A hybrid fibers in patients with long COVID suggests that the pathophysiology of long COVID includes a fiber type shift towards a less oxidative, more glycolytic phenotype. Metabolic and structural alterations are supported by venous blood and skeletal muscle metabolomes of long COVID patients in which glyc glycolytic metabolites were higher and TCA cycle metabolites were lower. So... Yeah, so, I mean, how to how to sort of think about this in ways that would make sense for people. So, the, 
the long COVID patient is essentially becoming more dependent on muscle muscle types that are responsible for sprinting power um, events and you, you know you want more endurance fibers essentially to last through the day and so I, from this you could sort of perhaps infer that those um, oxidative fibers for whatever reason may, and maybe hey don't, don't shout daddy's working daddy we finished in a few minutes but uh i broke my concentration what was i saying about marathon runners right and so they've lost that uh capacity to have endurance for the day and if it the body's going to try to adapt somehow you still got to move around and so you have these um the glycolytic and um non-oxygen dependent but then they get that you know they're prone to build up lactic acid and so um you would fatigue easier and if it if the muscle group is not working well anyway you know i, I always used to wonder wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to just be having that explosive power all the time but then no <laughs> you you're um you, you, from an evolutionary perspective you've got to um you, you of course you need some explosive power etc but you've got to be able to sort of track prey um often for long distances so um well you, you know you would differentiate and you would have people more geared to one type versus another and then mixes in between and you would hope that you would cover all all eventualities in your in your tribe or, or group um let's see what this is okay um We observed that fiber type shift and lower mitochondrial respiration are associated with reduced exercise capacity in patients, but these do not necessarily contribute to the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise. As fiber type shifts occur at a very slow pace and could have been present before long COVID, our participants showed a large variability in exercise tolerance, fiber type composition, and mitochondrial enzyme activity. But despite this large heterogeneity, all patients experience post-exertional malaise one day after the exercise test. As such, we conclude that the pathophysiology of fatigue and reduced exercise capacity is distinct from the rapid development of post-exertional malaise in long COVID patients. Um, the development of post-exertional malaise could in turn, however, lead to a further reduction exercise capacity in patients as the acute reduction of mitochondrial uh, whatever that succinates dehydrogenase activity occurrence of tissue necrosis and possibly intramuscular accumulation of amyloid containing deposits could worsen skeletal muscle metabolism force production over time causing a vicious downward cycle well i mean click man if you've got a higher burden of necrotic tissue i mean that's just more metabolic load with respect to you've got to detox and take that the liver's got to work on it again you're you're stuck with sort of rate limited um processes and and at the same time you're going to be increasing um amyloid um tissue hypoxia induced by tissue hypoxia induced by amyloid containing deposit accumulation in the smallest capillaries has been suggested to contribute to long covid symptoms such as fatigue 
found an impaired peripheral oxygen extraction and relatively lower deoxygenation and a higher concentration of amyloid-containing deposits in skeletal muscle, but we did not find evidence of block capillaries within the skeletal muscle. Our findings, therefore, do not support the hypothesis of chronic tissue hypoxia due to vessel blockage, contributing to the development of skeletal muscle-related symptoms in long COVID or post-exertional malaise. We only evaluated the presence of amyloid, but not the function of the endothelium or local blood flow. As such, the possible association of chronic endotheliitis or reduced blood flow to the development of post-exertional malaise and or exercise intolerance in long COVID remains open. Further studies into the composition of these amyloid-containing deposits and the possible role of entrapped autoantibodies in relation to post-exertional malaise and long COVID are warranted. Yeah, um, they really needed to, it would have helped enormously in this study to find what, what the basis of this amyloid was. We don't know. We just know that they're getting a TH, a fire-flowing signal. So both groups presented with more regenerating fibers following the second biopsy, indicating a possible effect of the first biopsy. Despite this, long COVID patients had more internal nuclei atrophic fibers and focal necrosis after induction of post-exertional malaise compared to healthy controls. Skeletal muscle atrophy and focal necrosis can occur during severe acute SARS-CoV-2 infection. This is the first study providing evidence of severe tissue damage upon acute exercise in long COVID patients. The highest skeletal muscle infiltration of CD8, uh, sorry, CD8, 68, plus macrophages and CD3 T-cells suggest a locally uh, disturbed immune response in patients with long COVID. Viral infections can alter mitochondrial function, and multiple studies have shown that residual SARS-CoV-2 protein presence is associated with long COVID. During acute SARS-CoV-2 infection, the level of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein rises sharply. Yeah, of course. And although... I was going to say that they didn't show that in the in the paper, but they're just talking in generals here, uh, generalities. And although our patients suffered from exercise-induced myopathy, there was no signs of a higher present of presence of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein in patients with long COVID before or after induction of post-exertional malaise. Therefore, we did not observe more B-cell infiltration in the skeletal muscle of patients before and during post-exertional malaise. The mere presence of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein in skeletal muscle is unsurprising, as nucleocapsid protein can be present up to a year after infection in blood. It is, however, unknown if the full virus is present or only protein remnants. Because the spike protein is located on the exterior of the virus, this protein may have different pro-inflammatory coagulatory effects compared with nucleocapsid protein. Yeah, why didn't you stain for spike protein in, in this instance? Why just look at nucleocapsid? That's odd. Uh, they might, maybe there's, uh, um, they haven't mentioned vaccination state. Maybe, maybe they do in the, um, methods, but it's been surprisingly absent from well the the what we've covered so far, and maybe maybe they wanted to be careful about um, you know if well what what would you expect to see what would be the prediction that in so the nucleocapsid is not changing, then presumably there would be a steady state of any spike protein 
fragments. But mm, if the difference would be that in the long COVID, we don't know when this was done in the date, so we don't know if this was prior prior to vaccine rollout. That's a, it's, it's a tangent right now. Uh, the mere presence of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocalyotes, we did that. It is, however, unknown if the full virus is present, only protein remnants. Okay, we did that. Uh, because the spike protein is located on the exterior of the virus, yeah, we did that. The absence of clear distinctions in the quantity of nucleocapsid protein and the equal presence of B and T cells following exercise suggests that factors other than viral persistence are associated with the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise in patients with long COVID. Okay, so the study is observational in nature and therefore we cannot establish causality. We only included individuals with severe long COVID, but the observed abnormalities are not reflective of physical inactivity. Accelerometer data indicated that long COVID patients were not bed bedridden and had an average step count of 4,000 steps per day. Well, that's way more than I do. Uh, while our cohort might have displayed sedentary behavior, physical inactivity itself does not cause post-exertional malaise and is linked with muscle atrophy and a lower mitochondrial SDH activity, which we did not observe in our cross-sectional analysis. As the sample size of this study is relatively small, our results require replication in other cohorts. Yes, it would be nice. In support of our work, peripheral alterations in mitochondrial metabolism and myopathy have recently been observed in patients with long COVID, but how post-exertional malaise alters skeletal muscle alterations requires further confirmation. Post-exertional malaise is a symptom that is specific for certain patient populations, including long COVID and myalgic encephalomyelitis, a chronic fatigue syndrome. While it's unlikely that the pathophysiology of post-exertional malaise is completely different, future work should highlight if the underlying pathophysiology is similar in all patient populations, including children and adolescents. And I've got a feeling that you're going to find amyloidogenic processes with ME-CFS. And that's the elephant in the room at the moment. I wonder what happens if you just search for amyloid. Nothing. Is this twenty twenty two? believe that MECFS, like ongoing effects of long COVID, are arising by very similar me mechanisms involving neuroinflammation, likely with some unique signaling resulting from the pathology of initial SARS-CoV-2 infection. Yeah, um, they're not, well, they do mention amyloid. I'd have to read this paper. Um, mm -mm -mm. Uh, paper here. Uh, 
Okay, so in conclusion, this study reveals that local and systemic metabolic disturbances, severe exercise-induced myopathy, infiltration of amyloid-containing deposits in immune cells in skeletal muscles of long COVID are key characteristics of post-exertional malaise. While these explain the symptomology of post-exertional malaise in long COVID, the molecular pathways underlying these alterations in patients suffering from post-exertional malaise remain to be determined. Um, yeah, but... Well, not but, but it, it's nice that um, we're starting to find um, coherent uh, signatures. And yeah, it would be important to find out what the, what the precise um, proteomic makeup is of the amyloid. And let's just see where this was being done. Hmm. Amsterdam. There's one mention of vaccinations in the paper. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to clear up what sort of confounds that might have played. All right, so let's see. I'm going to go back to. All right, after Jessica's stack on spidroin plots, misfolding, and now molecular muscle changes are even freakier. Um, maybe. Ever since COVID, I get real bad tendonitis in one ankle now and pain. It lasts for about a day, comes around once every couple of months. Never had anything like it prior to COVID. Doc says prion and rumble chokes up. <laughs> Funny. Uh, come over to WTYL. Rumble is goofy. Uh, that sucks. Um, is there an issue with drops? Maybe. All right. Um, the video sound seems better on WTYL. Um, 96%, but shouldn't SPO2 be tested when at work, not rest for the best idea? Um, no, you should be able to, like your blood saturation should be high, sort of 99. And if you're going down, if you're dipping down to like 91, like I am, and hovering 94 to 96, um, something's not quite right. Um, not getting WTYL veri verification email. Um, Simon Phoenix. Kev had to link the chat up to the screen chat earlier, but everything working a okay now. Okay. Uh, rather here than rumble. Uh, send in Mackie D's, please. Uh, feed uh, feed the bleak today. Uh, Tapio boys must be no. It's um, it's the water heater. Um, it needs changing. Is then oh, I've done that. Um, da, da, da. Jeffrey was base bro. He was the only. He was only in the boy every time you mad. He was a child molester. He only likes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey was based. It's just mad, bro. He's Jewish. Oh, you mean Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> Is the resolution changing for everyone? I don't know. Um, 
Not that everyone can see past their confirmational biases, but here are the mortal oscillation rates I use for Kuru encephalopathy. Um, okay, I presume that's some type of uh, rife type treatment. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. My legs feel like a hundred eagles are digging their talons into me. Not the same as recovery day after a training session. Yeah. Weed, Tylenol, and first for revenge keep me going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, ju I just take it as it's part of the landscape now to use um, pharmaceuticals. And, and there's no, there's no recall. Were I in another country, maybe I would uh, have, I would be using cannabinoids more. Maybe. I don't know. Um, it, uh, it didn't test for spike overlapping with amyloids. Yeah, I know. It's really frustrating that they didn't do that. Spike is highly amyloidogenic, so maybe that's what's causing this. Spike protruding from cell membranes and creating amyloids. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Janie. And it would have been... I can't believe that they didn't do that. It, it, it's sloppy. I would have I would have asked for that in the review um this accounts for some of the deep depression suicide in long covid already no one hears them at this yeah <laughs> look you, you're going round with um necrotic muscles basically it's miserable um and you know it's there in mecfs i know this and you know my experience this time round compared to in my 20s with MECFS is not so is not as bad for me but then you know it felt like I had less far to fall and I was already in a sort of debilitated state somewhat from TBI and you know everything just starts falling to bits and you just you just start sounding like an old grumpy fucker you're just uh, whinging about your aches and pains all the time so um let's see they didn't want to see VAX results. Well, I mean, it should have been, it should be explored and stated more explicitly rather than ignoring it because, and again, this is why you would want to look at spike protein as um, if that's, again, lining up with necrotic tissue, etc. And then, well, if spike protein is there, then what what is the um, contribution from uh, vaccine in this instance and we don't know there's a, there's a sort of opportunity missed uh, persistent SARS-CoV-2 infection EBV, HHV6 and other factors may contribute to inflammation and autoimmunity in long COVID mm. but do they mention amyloid we, we know about uh, viral reactivation and this comes from immune dysregulation have that long covid youtuber woman science woman or something she is ill as fuck with mecfs right now um yeah uh, people have mentioned her before uh i mean what what to do uh let's see 
we're supposed to be looking at here. Why why is this link all messed up? Uh hack the bleak's URL defeat like an elite. I don't know what that means. Um I've heard HCL can injure tendons. HCL. Hydrochloric acid. Her name is Physics Girl. Check out that video. She's fucked. She can't walk now. Uh yeah. I mean I can, I can try to point her to the well, I would I would point her to Joaquim right now and I think I think the plasmapheresis is the, the way to go. I really do. Um if, especially at like the that systemic um muscle group level. Uh, I have this muscle wasting. Um, yeah, I, I get it, Lindsay. Seems like they purposely omitted the mention of spike protein. Yes, I agree. I agree. Does SARS-CoV-2 prion create cancer and cut the DNA at the key spot? I guess I missed those streams. Um. Yeah, go look at the stream I did yesterday where we look at the um, TDP-53 um, amyloid. And, you know, the my conjecture that prions and amyloidogenic peptides cover a far broader range of uh, peptides that they... That we than the canonical ones that we normally focus on, and um, it's possible that once the you have this um, translational uh, interruption, and then you create the the amyloid, and it it's talking about very low copy numbers required to actually do that, and that's a big. And it's less to do with DNA. It's it's this um, transcription transcription level. All right. Um, uh, GDL pops in with the kingdom of David is fake. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we still need answers to the K two six R origin. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know if you would could ever tease out that short. Short of like invading the country and finding written plans in order to to do it. I'm not sure you ever could could find um, enough proof. All all they are right now would it's forever. They would remain suspect right now with respect to molecular biology. Chinese as well, with respect to carrying out these, um, having an active interest, plus also uh, the, God, my sinuses are blocked. I'm going to have to just pull the ripcord. My computer's overheating. Uh, my sinuses are blocked from uh, <laughs> just breathing in fullerene uh, yesterday morning. Um, so... See, the study doesn't address vaccine or spike protein, as they would likely not get published at all. 
especially in nature. Yes, yes. Kev, uh, there are so many underlying conditions that tip skewing basic immune response is not fun. And this product have probably been a lab test on that, maybe. Uh, tumor necrosis factor, alpha and gamma interferon, but not hemorrhagic or pathogen burden dictate levels of protective fibrin deposition during infection. Um, maybe. Uh, final Epstein documents. Okay. Uh, let's see. From the paper, table one participant characteristics, 100% controls vaxxed. 96% of long COVID were vaxxed. Um, thank you, Janie. Um, so, yeah, 24 out of 25 vaxxed. So, <clears throat> um, this goes to show. And, you know, it's important to know if the spike protein, but then, th then the argument would come. You don't know where that spike protein had come and there it would come from. And they would just say, it can't be the Rex. So um, there's that. So let me just see if anyone has uh, fed that tax evader today. Um, let's see. Um, Hibernian Blanco Wog did uh, that much, I'm sure. And uh, oh, um, let's see. I want to say thank you to Gaza, Gina, Vex, Cat. Vov, BM, and Primitive. Um, we have, let me count that up. We have just, <laughs> we've just covered the, uh, the tax evader's salary. Um, bravo. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll make sure he gets that. What day is it today? It's Friday, right? Friday for me. All right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, um, Call it a day. I'm going to try and get back to. I want to do the paper on the the. That was where is it? It was about the. Oh God, I'm blanking right now. Uh, wonder what's the word I'm looking for. Where the patent? What what's the patent landscape with respect to uh, the therapeutics for amyloid? And I also found a paper that's looking at potentially Congo red as uh, or, or Congo red derivatives that may be worth looking at. Um, so I'm gonna if 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 there's not a new prion paper that jumps up and catches everyone's attention. Um, the, that's where I'm going to try and head to. I'm going to do, uh, someone wants to interview me on Sunday, UK time. And, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Um, maybe Charles is feeling better. Maybe I could do a stream with him, um, this weekend. All right. Um, yeah, I'm out of here. Take care. And uh, I've got to go and, I don't know, try and uh, clear out, get some nasal irrigation into my sinuses. All right. See you in the next one, folks. God bless. Bro, you don't know how angry I am.
You do, like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these papers. I will fucking kill each fucking kappa. I swear. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these kappas. No fucking... Vaccine or MRA or ever throws to my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage! Fuck these motherfuckers! All the fuck. I like this guy. Subject me back up. Never!